This is The Common Denominator, and I'm Ilana Rachel Daniel. Welcome, my most sincere welcome to those of you arriving through our previous work, as well as to the new listeners who are discovering us here for the first time. This is the first of our brand spanking new podcast, The Common Denominator, and I'm Ilana Rachel Daniel. Who I am and why I'm here is an answer which continues to unfold. But in a word, I'm here for us. I'm here to engage in the thought and the dialogue we have not yet had in reaction to the breakneck pace changes thrust upon us these past four odd, very odd years. I'm here to speak what I see and learn, and to hear others speak what they see as well. I was born in the U.S., where my presumption to self-determination was established, and I've lived in and all over Israel for some 25 years where my adult perspectives were shaped. I have the privilege and the challenge of holding ideals from both countries. My research has spanned anthropological study and fieldwork, women's health, children's health and nutrition. I've dove deep into the rabbit hole of vaccine safety awareness and have not yet reached its bottom. It was in 2019, just months before coronamania would arrive, when I realized that this myriad of research all came together for me and the activism to maintain it. I saw from the outset of the declared COVID pandemic that life as we knew it was being irreparably changed. As Israel's corona policies emerged as some as the most draconian the world over, I found myself in the position to utilize the decades-old research that clearly signaled the dangers of both the mRNA technology we were hysterically plunging into the virgin population of Israel, as well as to the emergency laws that were rapidly eroding any semblance of the democracy we so prided ourselves on here within the Middle East. An op-ed I wrote was published in Israel National News, and to this day remains the only risk-benefit analysis offered on a mainstream platform on the topic of the new corona injections. It is my intention that we'll discuss that article from exactly three years ago and see what we got right and what, if anything, we got wrong. Witnessing the erosion of our primary civil liberties reared me into action. I became a member of an apolitical political party called Repay, or Healing in English in which we challenged the lockdowns, the wicked Green Pass system, and coercive injection mandates in that March 2021 election for Knesset. And we were the sole voices speaking up and challenging the Netanyahu and later Bennett government on these issues. It was during this time of upheaval where appalling emergency laws were being enacted, which led to what unexpectedly became my cry to the world. Some of you may have heard it then, It was an off-the-cuff audio message which I sent to a European acquaintance with whom I wished to share in our activist group and to call for action the world over, the horror at what was happening, because it was clear to me then and has only become blindingly apropos that what happens in this tiny land is all but guaranteed to reach shores elsewhere as well. Unbeknownst to me at the time, This friend sent that message out and it made its way around the world. The world was you, who were deeply skeptical and curious and recognized the call when it came. Here is that clip from February 2021. 
I hope you've been well. It's been very, very, very intense over here in Israel. I don't know how much you're seeing, but they, uh, it's terrible. It's, it's a very, 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 very frightening situation. So I joined a brand new, we made our, we had a human rights movement and we made it into a political party that's running in our, in our Knesset in uh, less than a month. And they're censoring us and attacking us and they won't allow any, any media, nothing. They, they took away the head of the party's, his medical license and they uh, removed our platforms from Facebook and now they won't let the media even write about us. So we want to ask all the international, anywhere we can get, to get to publicize what we are saying. Um, it's a very bad situation here. They're not letting children as young as 16 to take their matriculation exams without taking this injection. They are, of course, insisting people for work. They're making this green passport where half the population cannot get into uh, theaters or malls or all sorts of things unless they've taken the vaccination. They're creating a medical apartheid. Um, they have now issued, just this morning, they made it that they're allowed to send each person's private medical records to the local municipality so that they'll know who's taken the injection or not. They're making people wear a, a ankle bracelet, security bracelet, when they come back from traveling. It's absolutely insane. It's absolutely insane. If I don't, if I stop to... <laughs> If I stop to think about it, I will cry, you know? But meantime, we just keep fighting, you know? Fighting as much as we can. So we need everybody's help because whatever happens here will happen everywhere. It will happen everywhere. So we're fighting for ourselves and we're fighting for the whole world. But we need help. We need every bit, every, everything. Every hand on deck. Yeah, thank you, Slika. Excuse me. <laughs> it's intense, you know? And then an incredible thing happened. You answered me back in unison. It was a moment where long-held potential came into fruition. There's a lot to say about that audio clip, but when it went viral, it was the first word out of Israel that punched holes in the narrative of a Pfizer nation. What it did was put Israel at long last on the map of the resistance. It was a moment of we the people coming together, and as everything was coming undone, it shone a raw stream of hope that was more than empowering. It felt like we were finally headed out of the endless loop of history. The spoiler is, <laughs> it didn't last. The unity that was forming was then and continues to be the single most effective and dangerous weapon against our powers that be. And that is why the tools they have advanced the most 
or how to divide us. I do believe that in those early days, we were beginning to peer behind the curtain at long last. But I see today that earlier than we realized at the time, a narrative was being established within the freedom movement. Diversions and divisions were planted, and what took root then has come to a rather dismal fruition now. Part of the awakening, for some, was a realization, a revelation of Jews as culprits, huddling together to discuss the grand Jewish plans to take over, destroy, supersede society, only no one sought to compare these old, new theories next to any real live Jews. The Khazarian legend, the Europa and Fall of Cabal series established a legitimacy, a historical record, however poor, to those ideas. They guided one's algorithms and could be referenced as the case was built against the Jews. Jews of subversive remained secondary beneath the surface of most conversations. I watched it all the while and wondered for what and for when would they ignite that miles-high pile of Jew-hating tinder. Then, voila, October 7th kicked in our door, and the next world pivot turned. Since October 7th, if you are or have asked any of your local Jews, you'll already know that our existing reality changed fundamentally on that day of, of the massacre. For so savage was the attack, and upon so vulnerable the population, yes. But that it happened in the land of our vitality and our refuge. That what was what forever uprooted life as we knew it. And it was the purpose of GoProing the atrocities, so that we would not feel safe in the only place we ever could. I am deep inside the tumble and tumult of this world, that has become so astonishing in the virulence of its hate for my people, and yet so very surreal in its familiarity. At first, I was filled with a burning desire to speak all the endless truths that have for so many decades hidden, not unlike vaccines, in plain sight. Until the hate took on a hysterical pitch, which frankly awed me into silence. It awed, it wounded, it disappointed and it shut me up. I sit at this juncture, and I see very clearly that the longer that I'm silent, the heavier it weighs. For in what's not said grows resentment, grows illness, grows ever more complex misunderstandings. So I start to speak again. I do so here and now. Smack in the middle of the story. It's our intention to tell a lot of stories, some of the Jews, some of the Israelis, and all of those who share the desire for a world which is regenerative and whole and forever in dynamic process, one that will continue to require our vigilance indefinitely. Our leaders and our once gold standard institutions have broken their pact. They seek increasingly to centralize their power and micromanage us. Their power continues to deteriorate our health and our vitality. That is abundantly clear to the vast majority of us all. Our leadership becomes increasingly distanced 
from its people for whom they make the decision for the framework in which we live. We begin here in the middle of an unprecedented mental health crisis, of systematic upheaval and jagged divisions, in the middle of a treacherous and grinding, unbelievably foggy war, in the middle of minds and dialogue so distorted by psychological warfare, we can hardly agree upon biological fact. We speak from in the middle of the silence and in the face of humiliations, from real time and location, this land of milk and honey that has been made into myths. I speak, though I am far from perfect, I am not compromised. We're in the process of being greatly reset, and it's not great. It's really no fun at all. And because it is so deeply unpleasant, because it is so profoundly undesired by the people, is why I believe we still have an ability to affect it. I also believe that while those with vast swaths of wealth and power conspire with one another to further consolidate and grow that power, they don't have all the control we allot them, or we'd already be living under it now. But they do seek it, and they will continue to, only and ever until we stop them. We owe this life we were given one thing above all, to fulfill our mission to the best of our ability. Today, I offer a piece on one of the several TikTok curriculum fallacies being bandied about. I must say that one of the things that has been most alarming since October 7th is the absolute conviction of those sitting on sofas overseas that they know better than those of us living realities here in real time and place. I find this alarming not only because those who were previously curious to hear our every criticism of the Israeli government now find our opinion entirely dismissible once we began to speak in defense of not, God forbid, my government or yours, but the Jewish people themselves. Then those wise scholars online in New Jersey knew from the headlines what the local heathens could not. Without further ado, the Ben-Gurion Canal. On October 7th, an unprecedented and savage massacre was perpetrated upon the people of Israel. Young children, young women and men, and whole families were demolished in an exceptionally barbaric and lengthy ordeal. Once Israel began its retaliation against the entities that have repeatedly and publicly sworn to do all in their power to destroy the Jewish people in their entirety, wherever they live, and then move on to the rest of the infidels, People began searching for an explanation for the war in Israel and Gaza, which was more suited to their worldview. They ask a question legitimately demanded after all definitive world events. Qui bono? Who benefits from the mayhem? There is no doubt that we live in a complicated world where even sworn enemies are connected financially to a world where bankers and the weapons industry require a war every now and then to shift money and power and to move out old inventory. We've seen, however, one much-repeated theory that has traversed the internet with such vigor, people have adopted it as historical truth. It surrounds the so-called Ben-Gurion Canal, and we wish to shed some facts into the pool of public opinion. The Ben-Gurion Canal was a wild proposal made in the 1960s, to build a canal through Israel 
from the port of Ilat on the Red Sea all the way to the Mediterranean. The idea being to create an alternative route to Egypt's Suez Canal, which already connects them. In 1963, the federally funded research center Lawrence Livermore National Laboratory completed a feasibility study of building such a canal from the Gulf of Aqaba through Israel until the Med. The paper examined the option of constructing the canal by detonating nuclear bombs. Historian Alex Wellerstein calculated that it would take 520 nuclear bombs in order to achieve that ambitious canal. The briefing drafted a possible route to run from Elat, Israel's southernmost city, to an area north of Ashkelon, not via Gaza. The six-page briefing agreed that an alternative to the Suez Canal would be strategically valuable and would, quote, probably contribute greatly to the economic development of the surrounding area. However, the authors concluded that while the idea appears to be in the range of what's technically feasible, they questioned the economics of the project. They went on further to say that construction might prove politically impossible as neighboring Arab countries were likely to strongly object. Ironically, the paper seems to ignore that the Israeli public might take issue with the detonation of more than 500 nuclear bombs within a landmass the size of New Jersey. One of the reasons this long-shelved idea has recently received traction may be due to an April Fool's joke published in The Guardian on April 1st, 2021. The article came out shortly after the ship Ever Given ran aground in the Suez, which blocked passage for six days. The Guardian's article, however, was mistaken as an actual news report by many outlets. Platforms such as BBC Turkey published a story as real and later had to retract the report. Conspiracies continued to pop up for many days afterwards, such as they did in the Tehran Times. So those six days the Suez Canal was blocked did succeed to reignite the Israeli government's interest in expanding its current oil pipeline from Elat to Ashkelon, as well as in the building of a railway link from Elat to the Med. Adding to the confusion, that proposed railway was dubbed, quote, the Inland Suez Canal which likely contributed to the belief Israel was planning an actual canal and not, in fact, a railway line. In the end, subsequent studies made in 2012 concluded that the economic, environmental, and political impacts of the railway simply could not justify the expansion of the port in Elat. So much for TikTok curriculum. But let's not leave it there. For certainly if the war isn't for a canal, then it must involve the gas reserves discovered off the Mediterranean coast, right? According to estimates, Gaza's gas field contains around 28 to 35 BCM, billion cubic meters of gas. It's not actually very much. Meanwhile, Israel currently has gas fields with over 1,000 BCM. It's more than 30 times that of Gaza and they anticipate further discoveries as they continue to expand explorations. Both Israel and the Palestinian Authority are part of the East Med Gas Forum, who aim to develop gas in the region. Other members include Egypt, Jordan, Cyprus, France, Greece, and Italy. In 2022, Israel and Lebanon agreed upon a deal in which Lebanon will be permitted to explore for their own reserves areas of the Mediterranean, which Israel claims as its economic waters and the Gaza gas field found in 2000 
It was quietly approved by Israel in June 2023 for development. Take-home reality is this. Israel found over 1,000 BCM of gas, and that's important for the small country. But in terms of world consumption, were Israel to provide, say, the EU with the amount of gas which Russia did before their own war, our reserves would be finished in five or six short years. Initiating a costly and horrifically tragic war for some 30 BCM of additional gas simply doesn't add up. We all seek clarity and coherence in these times of unprecedented deception. The reality we must contend with is always multifaceted and more complex than can be encapsulated by an all-good, all-bad paradigm. I hope these facts didn't spoil your day or blood libel and that they aid those of you yet committed to the analytical process. It's because of this witness to the chasm that has widened between reality and perception in recent years that we've taken the initiative to launch this podcast now. Here we'll continue to seek to fill in the gaps of theory and reality, to demystify not only the reality of the Jews and the Jewish state, but also the broader threats we face worldwide with leaderships who continuously seek to centralize their power and the reality of the human fallibilities that aid them. There's nothing else like it around, and we want you involved. Find updates for the Common Denominator podcast and our year's previous work on Substack at Alana Rachel Daniel 120 or on Telegram at the Common Denominator. We'll see you here each Wednesday at 6 p.m. Jerusalem time. May we be strengthened and guided to do that for which we were created. We'll see you next week on The Common Denominator.